as we come to this last Sunday of Lent, uh, we, fi we finish up the journey that we started at the beginning of Lent, the journey through the spiritual streams and the Christian tradition. And we talk about the incarnational stream. We talk about God being here present among us and with us, of being able to see God in the midst of everyday life. And so we hear about a meal that, God, that Jesus shared with his disciples. When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles joined him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom. After taking a cup and giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. I tell you that from now on, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom has come. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant by my blood, which is poured out for you. This is the word of God for the people of God. When we started on this journey through Lent, I invited you to, on a journey with me through various streams of spirituality, the ways in which we live out and live into our relationship with God and with one another. Each of these streams is present in the life of Christ and in Christian history, and each of them connects to the others in some ways, even as each offers us a distinct way of understanding and communicating with God. We started the season off with the holiness stream, the virtuous life, and we looked at the ways in which we focus on living righteously and resisting the temptations that arise in life as a part of our devotion to God. We moved then to the charismatic stream, the spirit-empowered life, and we talked about the gifts that the spirit gives to us and how those gifts, whatever they may be, are meant to be used to build up our community of faith in love. Next, we looked to the contemplative stream, the prayer-filled life, and we explored the deep longing for and the intimacy with God that is a hallmark of that stream. Two weeks ago, I talked about the social justice stream, the compassionate life, that extends our ideas of personal love and personal holiness out to include other people and the ways that we live out the great commandment to love both God and our neighbors. Last week's topic was the evangelical stream, which focuses on proclaiming the good news and with sharing how God's love is available to all people, not just some. As Lent draws to a close and as we travel today from triumph to the cross, from the palms to the passion, we turn to the incarnational stream, the sacramental life. For those that like to study words and etymology, that's, that's etymology, not entomology. I'm not going to talk about bugs today. Incarnation shares a common root word with the word carnivore. The Latin word carnis means flesh. So the incarnation is about flesh, about bodies, about our physical reality. When we think about this in terms of the spiritual stream for today, we think of the incarnational stream as focusing on making present the visible, the realm of the invisible. 
It is about finding God in the details of everyday life. It is about God being made known to us through material means. Most often in the life of the church, we talk about incarnation with the capital I as we think about God become flesh in the person of Jesus. This is a major theme for us, particularly around Christmas time, as we focus on God being born into our world, into this world of flesh and blood. We don't often talk about the incarnation this time of year as we approach the cross and the tomb. And yet, without a body of flesh, the cross and the tomb have no meaning. What, after all, what, what is a means of physical death to God who is beyond our physical existence? And so, as we think about the life, the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we find that this fleshly existence of ours has meaning This physical world created by God has meaning. The spiritual and the physical are not at odds with each other. Rather, God created this flesh to hold our spirit. Just as the flesh of Jesus held within it the fullness of God. As a whole, humanity has the ability to see, to smell, to touch, to taste, And to hear each of us in our own way, just as God created us to do. And so God is made known to us through our senses. Sometimes, perhaps most often, this takes place in our religious settings. Our central text today falls more or less right in the middle of the very lengthy set of scriptures that are assigned for this day in the church year. We find Jesus sitting down to share a meal with his disciples. Now this was a usual enough practice for Jesus, and one we'll come back to again in a few weeks after the resurrection. But in this particular meal, the meaning and the purpose begins to shift. We hear today words that should be familiar to us from our religious celebrations at the table. This is my body. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus takes these everyday elements of bread and cup, common items that would be present at any meal during his day, and gives them new significance. In the worship life of the church, this takes on new meaning as one of our sacraments. The bread and the cup shared at the table in the midst of the worshiping community makes the reality of Christ present to us again in the midst of our world. These things that we call sacraments are one way in which we make visible the invisible reality of God. Through these practices of the church, we make holy the everyday things of life. The bread becomes no longer just bread. The cup becomes no longer just the fruit of the vine. Water becomes more than just a physical agent of cleansing. And this is powerful stuff. But the power of the incarnation, the joy of the sacramental life, is that it's not confined only to our places of worship. As we extend outward from our formal worship experiences, we find other less formal practices that we can use to intentionally make the invisible visible to us. 
to see the spiritual manifest in the physical world. Devotional practices involving icons and other religious art or prayer beads or other ways that our physical senses can be used to bring to mind God's presence in the midst of our everyday lives. Or maybe our experiences of Holy Communion begin to change our experiences of the meals that we share in our day-to-day practices. We begin to find Christ in the midst of the meals that we partake in throughout the rest of our week. This is what lies at the heart of the Incarnation and at the heart of incarnational spirituality. The point of the sacramental life is not really to pull ourselves aside, to take ourselves out of this dog-eat-dog world that we live in every day of our lives so that we can find God somewhere else. The point of the incarnation is precisely to focus and find God in that dog-eat-dog world, in the midst of that everyday life that we participate in every day after we leave this building and leave this place. No matter what everyday life may look for for us or look like for us, the challenge of the incarnation is to find God in the midst of that. Over the last few months, I've been leading a field education group online for the seminary that I worked for in Chicago. I've been working with students from all over the country, living in four different states, scattered from the Gulf of Mexico up to the Great Lakes. And every week, as we reflect on the joys and the challenges of life in ministry, my constant question for them is always, where is God in the midst of that? It gets really easy to focus only on the problems or only on the things that happen, that need to happen, that we have to do every single day. It gets easy to let those things draw us away and to focus only on what needs to be done. But no matter our life situation, even for those of us who are called into some form of professional or full-time ministry, We need those reminders to sit back and ask, where is God in the midst of this? Because the reality of the incarnation is that God is in the midst of this. The truth of this physical world and the struggles of everyday life is that God is with us. Yes, God may often feel more present When we are in these times of worship, God may feel more present as we are singing songs of praise. God may feel more present as we kneel at the altar. God may feel more present as we take the bread and the cup. I, for one, have a deep love of the sacraments in the life of the church. I love Holy Communion. I love the symbolism of it. I love the model of equality and inclusion that we have at Christ's table. This idea that no matter who we are, what we've been through, whether we like each other or not, we all gather together at that table and are welcomed by Christ. But, and even though I don't really have a specific reference for you this week, I'm sorry to those that are waiting for it, The reason I constantly use the examples of movies and pop culture in my sermons is because I want you to be able to find God 
in the everyday things we experience. I want you to be able to see that God isn't only available to us here in this space. Jesus is not only present to us in the bread and the cup. Jesus isn't only there on the cross. Jesus isn't there just in the tomb. God isn't only present to us in those times that we explicitly set aside for prayer, as important as those things are. But God is here with us every day. Every day we encounter things that have the potential to point us to that deeper reality of God. From the beauty of a creation that proclaims God's love for the world, the beauty of the flowers, the rocks that perhaps proclaim the name of God. Or perhaps we want to imagine the disciples blasting a little queen and singing along to we are the champions as they wave their palms and march into Jerusalem. Whatever that may be, we can find those little ways of remembering God in the midst of everyday life. While we often focus on the incarnation around Christmas, I was particularly struck as I prepared this week by the enfleshment of God as we enter Holy Week. This is a week full of reminders that God came down and took part in the very same physical existence that we participate in, thereby blessing this physical world all over again. We see reminders of God around us, of God present in what we see and what we smell and what we touch and what we taste and what we hear. We hear reminders of this in our scriptures as we approach Jesus' final days of existence before the tomb. The feel of the water and the touch of hands as he washes the feet of the disciples. The smell and the taste of the bread and the cup that they share in that final meal. And then they leave the table and they head to the garden so that Jesus can pray. As he prays, he knows that his time is short. He knows what is coming. He knows the results of his teaching his healing, his fame, his constant reframing of the religious rules, his actions in the temple overturning the tables. He knows where those things are leading. We hear his anguish as he prays in the garden, an anguish that makes his physical life very real. And so we turn now to the Garden of Gethsemane as we reflect on the very real humanity of Jesus and continue our journey through his final days in Jerusalem. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. You know what it's like when you're afraid but you can't put your finger on it and you can't relax, can't sleep, can't rest, can't find any place where you feel safe. And on reaching the place he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Imagine being under the threat because of your politics, because of your beliefs, because of your color, because of your creed, because of where you've been born, 
and he withdrew about a stone's throw from them. It's hard to face the future when everything ahead seems dark and filled with pain and hate. There's no other feeling quite like fear for making you feel isolated and utterly alone. And he knelt down and prayed. And if you look at the future, look at the news. There's fear on everyone's face. Fear of the future, fear of no hope, fear of nothing getting any better. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And everyone's looking for a way out, looking for an escape clause, looking for a hope, for a future, for a promise, looking for someone who could go there for them instead of them looking for a scapegoat. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Imagine that what you dread most isn't just a far-off threat or a nightmare, but it's real and it's imminent and it's the fear of war, of torture, of poverty, of hunger, and the fear is so tangible that you can almost taste it. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And for so many people around our planet... That fear is something they live with every day of their lives, something they wake with, sleep with, breathe in, feed on, something they can't shake off because it's real and it's happening to them. And when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. And for the rest of us, those of us who live in our stable country, in our comfortable homes, We too know fear. We worry and fret over our relationships, our finances, our jobs, our families, and over the constant changes and shifting sands of our modern times. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. And you know what it's like to feel betrayed, to be let down, sold out, double-crossed, conspired against. You know the pain of being left alone standing in the clearing with the people you thought you could trust the most watching on. Watching as you're betrayed by the one you love. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. In a garden where a man once faced fear and dread, we too are present. We face the uncertainties of our future or else we sleep, shutting our eyes to the fears of others. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Sometimes the hardest paths to walk start with the ordinary and the mundane. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. But he knows that we are weak. He knows that we will fail. He withdrew about a stone's throw from them. He faced what was to come alone, with only God to hear his cry knelt down and prayed he knelt alone broken and humbled before God father if you are willing take this cup from me and there was real fear of the unknown fear of what God wanted him to be yet not my will but yours be done he accepted he accepted placing his body into God's hands as he would soon place his spirit. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. God met him because he was willing 
And God provided strength, but not a way out. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And right through his body, he felt the fear. And right through his body, he felt the pain. And right through his body, he felt what was to come. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. And surrounded by the faithless, he was deserted. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And it is hard to stand with those in pain because of our own fear. We fail to stand firm. We fail to take the cup. And yet, we want to be willing. 